Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. We have a big, big show for you today. The new starting, well, we don't know if he's won the starting job yet, but we think he's going to be the starting quarterback at Florida State. DJ Ui Ungalale joins the show. I visited with him in Tallahassee. He is a very happy dude in Tallahassee. His third college team, he's back in the ACC. And I think I think he's got some big expectations for this year. And, and it was an interesting situation because this is a guy who went to Clemson as the number one recruit. He became the starter right after Trevor Lawrence. He played well, but not as well as they would have liked. And then he ends up going to Oregon State, has a very good year with Oregon State last year. But of course, before that season even started, the Pac-12 blew up. And so had to figure out what he wanted to do. He could have gone to the draft, decided he wanted to do another year of college football and looked around and uh, Florida State is the one that he wound up in. And, and it's interesting because he he talked to Jordan Travis, got some advice. He had some some friends who'd played at Florida State, uh, some friends who'd played against Florida State and and really had just a, a good idea of what he wanted. Uh, you know, he he had worked out with Taylor Kelly the former Arizona State quarterback when he was growing up. And Taylor Kelly played quarterback for Mike Norvell at Arizona State. So DJU did a lot of research going into this, this situation. And I it's interesting because when he committed to Florida State, I thought I was kind of lukewarm on it. After being in Tallahassee, talking to DJ, seeing how his teammates react to him, I tell you what, it feels like a very good fit. It feels like this is going to work very very well 
in Tallahassee. And this is it's a situation where Florida State is they're not rebuilding because the build to get to last year to that 13 and 0 ACC championship season was extensive and it was a program wide top to bottom build because what Mike Norvell took over was pretty dire. It was a bad situation he took over from Willie Taggart. And so even though they lose a lot of really good players, including Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, uh, Braden Fisk, Jared Verse, they've done a really good job and, and kind of quietly improving their high school recruiting, developing those younger guys. And then they're also, again, them and Ole Miss are the best at the portal. Uh, Florida State, I think you could argue, has been the best at using the portal to fill holes in the roster, to, to put exactly what you need when you need it into place. And I imagine they're not done. I mean, remember last year, they didn't get Keon Coleman until after spring practice. So I would imagine there's probably more moves to be made for Florida State. But they've done a really good job of constantly evaluating their own roster. And for the most part, they keep the guys they want to keep. They'll lose players, but they don't usually lose players they want to keep or that they feel are going to be important for them in the coming season. And I think they've done a really good job of roster management there. So I don't expect much drop-off from Florida State. And now having seen DJ in that environment with the Seminoles, I'm actually pretty excited for what they can be this season. I, I, I was not as sure because I just didn't know how it was going to work, how it was going to fit. But he definitely seems really comfortable, and you'll you'll see that in the interview with him because it is it is clear that he's happy where he is, and you know it, it's going to be going to be an interesting year in Tallahassee for sure. So we will get to DJU in a few minutes. Also, dear Andy, later in the show, you have some great questions. Our guy Nathan, who sends in the video questions every week, he has a doozy this one, and and it, I I had a lot of fun doing the research because. He has a, a hypothesis, and it's a good one, but I think I found a better answer. So I cannot wait to see what you guys think, if, if, it's, if Nathan's right or if I'm right. But before we get to, to DJ, I want to talk about a comment that Texas Athletic Director Chris Del Delcani made on Wednesday. He was in a town hall with Texas fans, and he was talking about scheduling. And obviously, it's very important to Texas as they move into the SEC, what the schedule is going to look like. And as you know, there were some arguments about what the schedule would look like once Texas and Oklahoma joined. And it didn't go the way that I think the leadership in the SEC expected it to go. Initially, I think there was a big push to move to a nine-game schedule. And then as you had some resistance from the teams that want to schedule for bowl eligibility. But then as it went... You had a lot of teams looking at, okay, this is going to be really hard. And also, it didn't seem like ESPN was going to kick in any extra money for the tougher games that are better products for ESPN. And so they kind of cooled on that and wound up going with an eight-game conference schedule this year. Well, Delcani got asked about what that means going forward because for Texas, it's pretty important because the eight-game schedule gives you one fixed opponent every year. For Texas, that would be Oklahoma. Now, obviously... It's very important in the state of Texas to play Texas and Texas A&M every year if they're going to be in the same conference. You can't do that unless you go to that nine-game conference schedule. So remember that. Remember that that's where the Texas folks are at. 
They want the nine-game conference schedule. The A&M people want the nine-game conference schedule. So here's what Del Cani said on Wednesday. We have eight games scheduled right now. We're working on going to a nine-game schedule, but we have a ways to go with that. I would say this year we have an eight-game schedule. The following year, 2025, we have another eight-game schedule. Then we'll look at going to a nine-game conference schedule. Now, this makes sense. When they initially built the compromise to do the eight-game conference schedule in 2024, that's what I said I thought would happen. I thought that they would play this schedule, and then whoever played at one site this year will flip to the, the, the opposite site next year. So in this particular case, Texas and Texas A&M play in College Station this year. They would play in Austin next year. You know, uh, Florida comes to Texas. Texas would go to Florida, that sort of thing. It's probably the easiest way to do it because you don't have to rebuild a bespoke schedule from scratch, which is what they did to do for this 2024 schedule. So it, it gives them a chance to kind of breathe a little bit and then figure it out. But then you get to 2026, you're going to start missing Texas, Texas A&M games. Auburn, Georgia games, Alabama, Tennessee games. Those fan bases, for the most part, don't want to miss those games. Now, Alabama and Tennessee, well, Alabama was one of the ones that, that came out against the, the nine-game conference schedule, even though Nick Saban said he didn't mind playing nine or ten. But when, when it looked like it was going to be Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU as their three permanent opponents, suddenly it didn't seem so great. But here's the thing. it would This was taken... On Wednesday, as Del Cani saying, this is going to happen in 2026. I don't know that it's going to happen. I think it's what a lot of people want to happen. I also think it's probably what the leadership in the SEC wants to happen because it gives them a better product going forward. There will still be resistance because I, I tweeted out what Del Cani said with, with the explanation of, I think they just kind of flip the schedule for 25 and then, then go to nine and 26 and immediately got a text from somebody at one of the schools that would like this to be reconsidered and, and maybe like it to stay at eight. Hey, this isn't, this isn't a done deal yet. And I said, I know it's not a done deal, but I also think the teams that are, are against this and, and especially like when, with Alabama being against this, the SEC schedules were made boring for 20 years to protect Alabama, Tennessee. So by God, you're going to play Tennessee every year. You, you said everybody else had to sacrifice variety in their schedules for that series. So by God, you better play that game. Auburn, Georgia, same thing. Play the damn game. And Texas and Texas A&M. Again, I've said this all along. This is my stock line. I will say it over and over and over again. If you have Texas and Texas A&M in your league and they do not play in football every single year, you are doing it wrong and it is stupid and you need to fix it. So, I don't think they're going to get to a year where they skip a Texas-Texas A&M game. I have too much faith in the intelligence of the people running the SEC for that to happen. You can't do that. You have to play that game every year. You probably have to play Auburn, Georgia, and Alabama, Tennessee every year too. But you have to play that game. Now, there are solutions that involve still playing eight games and playing those important games every year. The Big Ten is doing something like this. Now, the Big Ten's not moving to eight games. They're staying at nine games. But they're saying, basically, if you've got rivals that, that are very important to you, historically important, 
we're going to schedule them every year for you. But everybody's not going to have the same number. And so we'll just make it work. The SEC could do that too. Because some of these games don't, or some of these teams don't have three natural rivals. Some of them have more. Some of them have less. So you could do it that way, but I just don't see the SEC schools being okay with that like the Big Ten schools are. I can't imagine because they're always looking for a slight. They're always like, well, that, they, they got a better schedule than me this year, so I, I better get a better schedule than them. You, you're, you're screwing us. The conference office is screwing our team. That's how SEC schools and fan bases operate. So they're not going to be okay with a non-standard system. So it's either going to be eight games with one fixed opponent, the dumb one, or it's going to be nine games with three fixed opponents, the smart one. Because the, the reason that works is the math works out where everybody else who isn't a fixed opponent, you play every school twice every four years. So you play home and away every couple, you know, you get them at home once every four years. You get them away once every four years. It, it makes mathematical sense. But again, the eight-game one is stupid because you don't get Texas and Texas A&M or Auburn and Georgia or Alabama and Tennessee every year. And the nine-game one is smart. So the question is, come 2026, will they pick the stupid one or will they pick the smart one? That's really it. That's what it comes down to. The other part of this, and it's interesting as we move into an interview with a Florida State player. In 2026, we don't exactly know what the conferences are going to look like because this time last year, we were sure that USC and UCLA were going to the Big Ten. We did not know that Oregon and Washington were going to the Big Ten. We sure as hell didn't know that Cal, Stanford, and SMU were going to be in the ACC. So all of this could change. It's entirely possible that at some point between now and a year from now, something happens with Florida State and the ACC. Perhaps the Big Ten expands again. Maybe the SEC would take more. Uh, I don't see the SEC moving to take more unless the Big Ten does. But if somebody gets freed up from the ACC, and that would be Florida State, obviously, because they are the ones suing and being sued by the ACC, but North Carolina would be in that mix. Clemson would be in that mix as well. Then I think there would be movement. There would be changes, perhaps alterations of TV deals where you say, okay, we now want nine conference games. But at that point, the math doesn't work out either. You're going to have to do the math differently as, as the Big Ten has had to figure out with their 18-team schedule. So it could be that that eight-game, nine-game Stupid choice, smart choice, I just outlined. Maybe that doesn't even matter because the the number of teams is different. And I don't know. It's it's one of those, I, I cannot say anything with any certainty after living through the last year. And I think, I think DJ Oyangale would agree because he played at Clemson for three years. He graduated. Kate Klubnick was becoming the starter. We knew that. He had to move on. So DJ goes to Oregon State, which was coming off a really great season and expecting a really great season. And then in the preseason, the conference explodes. And Oregon State is not left with a dance partner other than Washington State. So Jonathan Smith moves on to, 
to Michigan State, the, co- the coach from Oregon State who'd done an incredible job in Corvallis. And, you know, DJ's in the, in the boat all season looking at, okay, what's going to happen? And he had to figure out, do I go to the NFL? Do I do another year in college football? Well, at that point, you realize you probably got to go somewhere else if you want to play in a quote-unquote power conference. So he went looking around. And Florida State was not necessarily all in on DJ at first. Remember, there was that weekend where they he had a scheduled visit. Cam Ward, the former Washington State quarterback, had a scheduled visit. And DJ didn't have an offer yet. DJ takes the visit, sits down with Mike Norvell. They go through some games. And Mike Norvell, after careful consideration, winds up offering DJ. Cam Ward decided to go to the NFL, changed his mind. Now he's at Miami. A lot of movement, a lot of pieces moving around the board. But in DJ Uyangalea, you've got a guy who's been through a really just interesting college football experience. I, I think if you went back and told him in 2019 when he committed to Clemson that this was going to be how it was going to go, I don't think he or anybody else would have believed you. Because at that point, Clemson was just rolling with their big-time quarterback recruits. Deshaun Watson had gone three years and and won a national championship and gone on to the NFL and and been a first-round pick. Trevor Lawrence had played three years. He'd won a national championship. He'd been the number one overall pick. So it seemed like this was just destiny. Well, life has a funny way of not letting you make plans. So DJ Uyangale had a very different college experience, and now he is the hope going forward in Tallahassee. Here's DJ. DJ Uyangale, Tallahassee. Sir. Do you ever think when you left uh, Southern California, you'd be here other than the occasional road game? Um, Honestly, brother, man, the way my college career has gone, uh, <laughs> I have no clue, man. My my career, I don't think I've ever thought it'd be like this. I didn't think I would be on my third school uh, in my fifth year. If my college career, I thought I'd be done in three years. But you know what? I think that's just the beauty of life and the journey that God's given me. And for me, man, I'm just blessed to be able to be here at Florida State, be able to be a Seminole, play for Coach Ravel. I heard you talking in another interview about you wake up every day Son. and you say thank you. And you say, you thank God for wake, waking me up. Thank God so I can walk. Thank God that I can, I can breathe. Sir. Is that something that you did when you were a freshman in college? Or is that something yeah. that this journey's kind of taught you? I think for me, man, um, Jesus Christ, uh, he's my heavenly Lord and Savior. Uh, I thank him each and every day. Uh, for me, man, I feel like my faith has grown tremendously over my five years uh, going to my fifth year in college. I think for me, God has always been number one in my life, but uh, he's tested me in ways in college that it's helped me to be able to grow my faith in him and be able to lean on him more. So I wouldn't say I've always been thankful of everything I've gotten in my life, but I feel like growing, I feel like I've matured and grown in my faith and learned to be able to lean on him more and be able to uh, appreciate things in life a little bit more than I did maybe my freshman year. Yes, sir. And you've seen, <laughs> yeah. you've seen, you've gone from, you know, growing up in Southern California to, to rural South Carolina 
to Pacific Northwest. And now, now you're, you know, people don't realize Tallahassee is the South. It's, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not like that's South what I've heard. Beach. No, that's no. what I heard. I heard it's like the Southern part, like a Georgia almost. So it's like a, it's somewhat. You've got suburbs of this city yeah. that are actually in Georgia. So that's exactly, yeah. that's what they said. But I love it so far. I mean, I like it. I enjoy Tallahassee. I enjoy the people and I enjoy everyone here. It's been great. So when you're deciding what to do, because you had a, you could have you know gone to the draft, you could have gone into the portal, could have gone to a lot of different schools. What was it about Florida State that, that drew you? I think Coach Norvell. I think uh, what he stands for as a man, what he stands for as a person, also as a coach. I think the testimony of what he's done, be able to develop quarterbacks and be able to way he's transformed Florida State back to where everyone knows that Florida State's always been that powerhouse program. Uh, program with incredible athletes, incredible coaching staff, and a rich tradition of winning and a rich tradition of the great fan base. So for me, that was the main thing. And when you came on your visit, you guys sat down and, and looked at three games from Oregon State last year, and so it was basically a film session. Yeah. Uh, how how different's that from say the first time around getting recruited when you were you know, looking all all the schools and ended up picking Clemson? How different is the third time through from the first time through? I think it's totally different. I think um, the biggest thing is like what you don't know back then is kind of what you do know a little bit. And then being in college for a while, for me, man, the fluff and all, you know, like the photo shoots and different stuff, great facilities. For me, man, that stuff doesn't matter to me. Like for me, I'm all about ball. I'm about winning. I'm about getting developed. So like that stuff I don't need to do. Like I don't need to go and do a photo shoot anymore like i don't really care about a photo shoot or how i look in a jersey but we are in the room where they do the photo shoots with the high school kids yeah, so. yeah, the background so for me man i don't like that stuff doesn't impress me anymore yeah. like i want to be able to sit down be able to build a general relationship with my head coach my office coordinator the coaching staff there and i want to know like hey, what makes what makes this program great and how can you guys develop me and this is how i can make the program do, great do you as well. talk to young guys like when they come through on visits you yeah. tell them this stuff, yeah, and they think, don't believe you. I bet. Nah, they probably don't. But for me, like, I got a younger brother. Yeah, and um, probably the coolest thing I've, uh, some of the coolest things I had last year was I was in the portal and ended up going to Oregon State. And for me, like, the whole month of December when I was home, uh, my brother was choosing the college where he wanted to go yeah. to, and he was choosing between Oregon, Ohio State, and USC. So I got to be there for all the in-home visits, talk with the coaches, and like talk to him about like, hey, like this is what like where I've gone, like been through. Like college for three years, like this is what you should be looking for and mm -hmm. the place you want to go to. So it was cool. Like I got to show, I got to tell him my insight, and he listened to me while I was trying to figure out where a place that I should go. And he helped me alongside. So it was vice versa. It was well, pretty cool though. And Mateo picked Oregon, and I heard you talking about there was a situation last year where you played a game in Corvallis and got to his game in Eugene by like the second quarter. Yeah, that's pretty no, amazing. Yeah, so that I mean, honestly, like God works in mysterious ways, and for like for me and my family, my mom and dad and my brother. And a lot of our family members, it was pretty cool for us to be in the same state and be able to play against each other. But, like, yeah, like, I played a game at noon. My brother's game was at 5 o'clock. Shoot, my game got done 3.30, shower. And by that time, I'm, like, on the road, like, at 4.30. And Eugene's only 50 minutes away, yeah. an hour or hour and 50 minutes, like, 50 minutes to an hour away. Oh, I've made that so, drive. Yeah, so, well, like, yeah, so it was cool. A little bit cool. of Pinot Noir if you want to have some. Well, not, not on the way. <laughs> I'm but you, like, can, you, can't you can do buy some at the grocery store, along, <laughs> and then once you get there, you're good. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's a it's it's a totally different and such a different vibe than than Clemson was, and then you're back in that environment again. And you've actually played here once, yeah, in yes, 2022. Sir. One of your better games as a as a yeah, Clemson no, Tiger. I was so, about to say, what what's it going to be like? Because I I've 
been in the stadium a bunch of times, and I can imagine on that visitor's sideline when that the marching chiefs are up there in that end zone just blasting out and everybody's doing that chop. Yes, sir. It's probably a little intimidating. What's it gonna be like when it is they're they're on your yeah, side? I think it'd be a surreal moment. Um yeah. like like you said, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, for me, man, I've grown up, I know about Florida State, know about the rich tradition that this program has and the legacy that these players play with and the fans have for Florida State. So for me, man, it's something I want to be able to uh, to live up towards and just be able to be someone that uh, is just someone that puts their heart out on and work for it each and every single day, puts their best foot forward. But it's going to be amazing, man. Like when I played here with Clemson in 2022, the stadium was rocking, the tomahawk chop, and it was amazing. Even though we won, it was just it was just amazing. Like that was this was, was the coolest place I played at in college. So when you got to Clemson, the the culture was was really good there. They had just gone to the playoffs two years in a row. I think four of the last five seasons yeah. they'd gone to the playoffs. Uh-huh. Um, you get to Oregon State, they're coming off one of their best seasons ever, and and Coach Smith had a really good culture installed here there, and then you come here and Coach Norvell has done what sure. he's had to do to, yeah. to get this program back. What's it like? trying to blend in to a culture that's already pretty good. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, um, trying to blend in, for me, man, I'm just trying to be myself. You know, like my, I'm DJ Lele. You know, I'm not going to change for anybody, but I feel like, for me, man, I would be my authentic self, and I feel like, at the end of the day, like, I feel like I fit well with individuals that I can adapt and stuff like that, but I would be me, you know? I would be, for me, man, I'm a guy that works my tail off, works my butt off each and every day puts my best foot forward, someone that wants to go in there and be a great teammate, wants to be someone that wants to be a, be a leader, be a great friend to people, and wants someone uh, on the team that people that can count on be able to trust. So that's what I feel like I bring to the table. So when you were looking at the destination after Clemson, you said that the offense mattered a lot and, and going to play for, for Jonathan Smith and uh, be in a situation where you might be under center or you're moving receivers in for protection purposes and that sort of thing. How much did you get out of playing in that offense? And now when you talk to Mike Norvell and, and your quarterback's coach, Tony Tokers, like, how much more confident are you talking about concepts, talking yeah. about all the different things you have to do in the offense? I think uh, a lot more confident. I feel like I learned a totally new offense than I he never ran in my life. You know, I got to work under center around a pro-style pro offense, what they do in the NFL. And for me, being able to learn that, I feel like that just enhanced my game of football and my knowledge of football. Uh, 10 times more than I ever have. And it was great. Like Coach Smith and Coach um, Coach Lingering and Coach Boyer, like those were all my coaches there at Oregon State, and they instilled a lot of confidence in me, instilled a lot of knowledge of the game of football with me. And I feel like I bring a lot of that here to Florida State. How strange was that situation? You grew up on the West Coast. Yeah. You were a USC mm-hmm. fan, right? So you, yeah, yeah, was you watched a Trojan ton fan. of Pac-10, Pac-12 football growing up. Yes, sir. You get to Oregon State. You have this season with these huge expectations. Before the season starts, the conference blows up, and then you get you know done with the year. Coach Smith's looking around. At that. How do you how do you decide what to do at that point? Uh, it was crazy, man. Like like you said, like no one knew like that would be the last year of Pac-12 football. And I think I said on many interviews for being a kid growing up in Southern California, a West Coast kid, um, being able to play in the Pac-12 has always been a dream of mine. Yeah, and being able to play in this last year was amazing. But, like, yeah, when things happen, you know, the conference is not packed no more Pac-12, which is really sad. And then Coach Smith ended up leaving and taking the job at Michigan State, which he was an amazing coach, and I'm super happy for him. And I think he's going to do great there. Um, honestly, it kind of was like, oh, shoot, you know, like yeah. you got to you gotta look at kind of weigh my options. Like, what's the best thing for DJ at this time and point? I feel like the best thing for me was 
look to find a new home. And I'm glad that everything worked out and God's favor. And he's able to lead me to this wonderful place in Tallahassee at Florida State. So when when you're older and you look back on that, you're, you're like, you, Penix, Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, all, all playing the same league. Noah Fafita was, was great last yeah, year. Yeah, Noah Fafita. All, Cam Ward. Cam Ward. Yeah, all Shador playing the Sanders. same league same time. Hey, Shador Sanders. There was right, a ton Shador of had a great year too. There's a ton of quarterbacks in the Pac-12 last year. It was, it, I mean, for me, man, the Pac-12 was the elite last year. It was great. It was great to play there. It's interesting because I was looking at the schedule this year. There is nobody better equipped for his new team's schedule than you because you've played everybody in the ACC. But, like, y'all have Cal, which is now an ACC member, and you played them last year, too. That is true. I, I did play Cal last year. I forgot about Yeah, I forgot that was Cal, Stanford. 52-40. That was a shootout. Yeah, it was a shootout. Yeah, no, it was, Cal was a, it was a good game. We yeah. had a good – it was they, – it was, they made it tough on us, man. It was, it was a shootout, though, for sure. So, with this group, you know, you're – with some guys that have, that have been winning now a little bit, and it kind of took them a little while to get to to the winning part. But mm-hmm. they are where Clemson was when you got there. They were where Oregon State was when you got there. Are do you feel like it's easy to just sort of pick up where you left off, and then, or how long does it take to get to know these new guys and and understand how everybody mm-hmm. ticks? I don't think it's easy because I th- like the biggest thing is like winning doesn't come easy. You know, being a good team like. Florida State was 13-0 last year until they played Georgia. But, like, they have – like, that's not easy. And I think a lot of people take for granted how easy winning is, like, how hard winning is. Yeah. You know, like, winning is not hard. Like, winning a game of football is not hard. There's a lot goes into it mm-hmm. from the preparation to the standpoint of everyone has to be on the right certain right page. And that starts in, in starts in January. Yeah. In early winter, and it starts in the spring. So, for me, man, the biggest thing is you got to be able to put the work in starting now so like coming in like yeah I think the biggest thing is for me to un- be able to understand the offense first and foremost to be able to be a great teammate to be able to be a great teammate to the quarterbacks to everyone here on the staff to all the players to everyone in this building and I think you got to be able to instill the trust and all your players that to be able to trust you that you're going to do the right things at the right times and then that that you're not just a guy that just hey you know like I just want to be able to jump on a ship but I want to be able to bring some type of talent to this or whatever that is. If it's talent, the way you work, the way you prepare, the way you come out there on the field, and, and this the way that you show yourself as an example to the program. And you've been through all these. Like, I, I, you, you guys play at Notre Dame this year. Sir. You start. You started at Notre Dame as a true freshman, threw for 400 yards. Like, you've been through all this, but it, will it be a little weird when Clemson comes to uh, I think, I think, yeah, I think because that was somewhere I played at. You know, that was my first uh, place I played at. That's the place I graduated from. A lot of my friends are still on the team. A lot of the coaches I still know, and I still have a lot of love for Clemson, and they did nothing, but it was an amazing time I had at Clemson. You know, granted, I had um, um, my journey ended up taking me somewhere else, but I love my time at Clemson. Like Coach Sweeney was an amazing coach. All the guys there were great, and every single staff member was there was great, and I loved it, and I graduated. Like, my best friends still play there. I still talk to them to this day. Like, my brothers are still on that team. But, yeah, I guess and when that time comes, it would definitely be different. Well, now you have to talk trash to him. That's, that's, that's the difference. <laughs> so, uh, when when you call Mike Norvell to tell him you're coming, sir, what's he say to you? Man, he was like, super excited. He was ecstatic. Uh, he was like, man, let's do it. Let's get to work. Uh, he was just excited, man. I mean, I was, ex- I was for me, I was super excited when he, when he asked me if I, when he offered me uh, to be able to come here. And I was I was electric, man. I'm like, let's do it. Was that the same conversation when when he offered? Did you just did you accept or did you say I got to think about this for a minute or two? Uh, yeah, it took me it took me like a couple of hours. Like, okay, uh, it called me in like later on the day, and I ended up committing the next morning. Yeah, so it didn't, it didn't take very long, but I knew in my head. Well, it was interesting because I imagine a lot of the schools you were looking at probably 
here's the offer. Let's let's go. Yeah. These guys made you work a little bit for yeah. it. Yeah. And nothing so, wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, like they told me they were looking at guys and they wanted to do the homework. Coach Norvell, he was honest and open, which that's one thing I can appreciate. Coach Norvell, like he was openly like, hey, he's like, we're not offering anybody right now. Like we're 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 gonna do our homework. Like we're gonna look at it. He's like, position of quarterback, like I wanna make sure it's the right fit for this program. And then, like, the guy, whoever we take, is going to be the right fit for this program. So he told me, like, hey, this could take a little bit. But for me, man, I knew in my heart that this is where I wanted to be. And if God let me um, let me, uh, let me to this program, he was going to open up this door for me able to be uh, a Florida State Seminole. Now there was no looking back, and I was ready to be a Seminole. Well, you're now a Florida man. Yes, sir. Traditional honorary Florida man. I know, so, man. I know. Yeah, I'm sure the family makes fun of you for that. Yeah. You, you hadn't, but you hadn't shown up in any weird stories yet, so you're good. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. Appreciate it, DJ. Thank Man, you so much. Appreciate your time, brother. Thank you for having me on. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. DJ Uwe Ungele. And I am I'm excited. After talking to him, I, I'm very, very excited to see what he can do at Florida State because... Again, I just wasn't sure when he committed how that was going to work. But I think just seeing him in that environment, he he looks really comfortable. He looks like and, – and I think a part of it is he's kind of seen everything in college football at this point. So it's like he was talking about. He doesn't need any of the BS in the, in the visit. He doesn't need to, to know w- what the bells and whistles are. He just wants to know – how can I help this team win? What do you need from me? What can I give you? And I think that probably helps. And, and I think Florida State's had a lot of that kind of all business mentality from these transfers they've brought in. And that's why, you know, even though they brought in a lot of transfers, it feels like the culture of the locker room has stayed consistent. And I'd say that's a good job of scouting because it's, it's hard to do. Hard to do. I was talking to a coach the other day about this. How do you find out in the very brief process you have to recruit these transfers if they will fit your locker room, if they will help it come together rather than tear it apart. And it takes it takes work. It takes relationships, and you got to work fast to figure that out. But with DJ, it definitely seems like everybody's enjoying his time there. He's He's figuring out what's going on now. He has not found his Chinese food spot yet. He had a he had a one in Clemson that was in a strip mall that was kind of handed down from quarterback to quarterback. Or that that was their spot. He found one in Corvallis called I think it was called like Yummy Yummy. Uh, but he's still looking for one in Tallahassee. So if you have suggestions, send them his way. He's got a so he's got a good Mexican food truck already, but he is not he's not found his Chinese spot yet. So that is your DJ Uyangale food update. Now. We're gonna talk prize picks. My friends at Prize Picks, they uh, I did I did well thanks to the punters in the Super Bowl. But you need to sign up for Prize Picks. Download the best daily fantasy platform in America. The referral code is Andy, and they will match your first deposit up to a hundred bucks. And there's always something going on with Prize Picks. No no power slap this week, so I don't have to do any power slap scouting for you guys. But 
Tiger's playing. Tiger's playing later later today. He's teeing it up at Riviera. So will he have more or less than three and a half birdies in his opening round at Riviera? Will Bronny James go over more than six and a half points or will he have less than six and a half points for USC against Utah? Always something going on. They got Call of Duty, League of Legends. They got the eSports. There's NBA, obviously, NHL. Darts. There's some darts going on. If you can play it, Prize Picks probably has squares for it. The more squares you pick, the higher the potential payout. Also, the more difficulty. So it is it is a challenge. But if you if you got a few that you feel really great about, like I did with the punters in the Super Bowl, you got a really good shot. So download that Prize Picks app today. Use the referral code Andy and get an instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars. All right, now it is time for Dear Andy. And I was going to start with, with one that got sent in earlier, but I got a really interesting question from Andrew in the chat that I think we should start with this one because I had not thought about this, but this is a distinct possibility. Andrew says, hey, Andy, what are the chances of the champions of the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC all being newcomers to the conference? That's a great question because let's think about this. I think Utah is probably going to be favored to win the Big 12. If they're not favored, they'll be co-favorites probably with Kansas State. So that's one. Utah definitely feels like they, they have a shot. I think if Jed Fish had stayed at Arizona, you'd probably feel good about Arizona's chances. Arizona didn't lose that much when Jed left. Brent Brennan's a good coach, so perhaps they got a shot too. But Utah with Cam Rising coming back, with Brant Keithy coming back, with Kyle Whittingham being one of the best coaches in the country, I think they have a really good shot in the Big 12. Obviously, Oregon is going to be one of the favorites in the Big 10. Now, Ohio State is probably the favorite in the Big 10, but Oregon in year one, they're going to be very talented. They're going to be good enough to compete with the best of the teams in the Big 10. That's a possibility. In the SEC, Texas and Georgia have the highest projected win totals. If you go to FanDuel, it's it's 10.5 for both of those. So everybody's expecting Texas to be one of the best teams in the SEC. Uh, we'll see about Oklahoma, but Texas coming off a college football playoff appearance, bringing back a lot of talent. Uh, Kelvin Banks at, at left tackle. Quinn Ewers obviously coming back. And then what they've done in the transfer portal, they went and got Isaiah Bond from Alabama. So that's another one. That that could be possibly so, Andrew. I that feel I, I you know, it, Prize Picks only does the the players, but if they did teams, it would be fun to have the the squares like more, you know, more or less 0.5 conference championships. I would I would really enjoy that because that would be a a fun trio of squares to pick on Prize Picks. But that is a great question. I am I have not thought of that. But I do think we need to think about that going into the season because I could I can see Utah in the Big 12, Oregon in the Big 10, Texas in the SEC. That is certainly in the realm of possibility. And and I would I would say with not with absolute certainty, but I think we're going to get at least one of those three outcomes happening. I think at least one of those conferences is going to be won by won by a newcomer this year. I don't know which one, but I think it's going to be at least one of them. 
All right, let us move on to our question from our guy, Nathan, who always sends in incredible questions. This one is awesome. Over. Dear Andy, with the recent coaching carousel more or less being over, we had 30 head coaches changed. We had big name coaches retire, shocking moves from one school to another, off-field drama causing coaches to be fired and everything else. Um, and with all of this, my question is, when was the last time we had an offseason that was this crazy in terms of coaches? I know in 2012 we had one or two more coaches change than we did this year, but even when Lincoln Riley went to USC, that didn't seem nearly as dramatic as this season did. So have we ever had a coaching carousel that was this bizarre and crazy in every conceivable way? So I think this one is incredibly weird, Nathan. One, because you have Nick Saban retiring and Jim Harbaugh leaving for the NFL, but also because of the other stuff that's going on in college football that has caused a, a couple different chain reaction things like Having Jeff Halfley leave Boston College to be the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator, it hasn't that that hasn't happened. And then you have Bill O'Brien, who was going to be an offensive coordinator at Ohio State, takes the Boston College job. Chip Kelly then leaves a head coaching job for an OC job in the same conference. Now we'll we'll get into why all that happened in another question, but that part was really strange. But I don't know if it's the craziest one ever. I think. One, so Nathan mentioned the two, th the one after the 2021 season, which was my craziest one probably going into to this year, at least that I've covered. There's one down here that we're going to talk about that I didn't cover because I was, I was just coming out of college. But the 2021 one, let's think about this. <clears throat> so LSU opens when Edward Orgeron gets fired. That, that set things off. USC opens when Clay Helton gets fired. That set the table. And Nathan mentioned this, that Lincoln Riley going to USC, big deal. Lincoln Riley went to USC and Brian Kelly went to LSU on the same day. Think about that. Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma to go to USC. Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to go to LSU. Like the idea of anyone leaving either one of those schools for another college job was unthinkable. Prior to that day, it totally changed our perception of what jobs are in college football. The idea of those two leaving then are, and it's just, it's nuts. But here are some of the other jobs that were open in that cycle. So obviously LSU, USC, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Florida fired Dan Mullen, after the after that season, Washington had an opening. Oregon had an opening because Mario Cristobal left. Washington had fired Jimmy Lake. TCU had an opening because Gary Patterson had retired. Virginia Tech was open. Texas Tech was open. And Tennessee was open because remember, Jeremy Pruitt got fired. And remember, they used the NCAA violations to fire him for free. And then they got investigated, and then they had to sue the NCAA or have their state sue the NCAA. Everything comes back around. 
So that one was really weird. Let's throw another one in there. Let's go back to, to the end of the 2017 season. This was another crazy one. So Texas A&M fires Kevin Sumlin to hire Jimbo Fisher. We knew that was going to happen. So that opens up Florida State, which in turn opens up Oregon. Meanwhile, Jim McElwain got fired at Florida. Mike Riley got fired at Nebraska. Mullen, Dan Mullen left Mississippi State for Florida. So that opened Mississippi State. Uh, Jim Moore got fired at UCLA. Brett Bielema got fired at Arkansas. Arizona opened. So there, there were a lot of jobs open in that one. And remember, where the balls tend to pop up a lot in this, that was the one where you had Shiano Sunday, where Greg Shiano was hired by Tennessee and then unhired av after a fan revolt. That was a, I mean, that was probably the wildest coaching search I can remember, that particular Tennessee search, because you had Shiano Sunday, then you had Mike Gundy communicating with John Curry, who was the athletic director at the time. You had Dave Doran. It looked like Dave Doran was going to be the guy for a minute. Then there was a, an interview set up with Mike Leach, who was the Washington State coach at the time. The interview was set up in, in, in the L.A. area. And John Curry kind of, depending on who you believe, the, the Tennessee administration painted it like John Curry had gone rogue at that point. I don't think that's exactly how it how it went down. But basically, when they find out John Curry's interviewing Mike Leach, they're like, come home. And then they fired him. And then they promoted Philip Fulmer. And then Philip Fulmer hired Jeremy Pruitt. That was a weird coaching search. That was a weird coaching search year. Because they uh, think about you had Jim, the Jimbo Fisher move to Texas A&M was obviously earth shaking. Florida State then hires Willie Taggart, who had only been in Oregon for a year, and so Oregon's thrown into chaos. Scott Frost is hired from UCF to go to Nebraska. That's the slam dunk hire of the year. He ends up getting fired a few years later. It, I mean, it was that one was nuts. But I want you to go back, think back, the turn of the century. So after the 2000 season, there was a coaching carousel that I think if it, it, it had been in the social media era, it would have been considered one of the wildest ones ever because of so many teams opening up. But also, now that we have the, the benefit of hindsight, there were so many hires that were complete slam dunks in this one. It set the table for the next decade of college football, basically. So in 2000, remember Ohio State's open. John Cooper's been fired. They hired Jim Tressel, who's been kicking butt at Youngstown State. Miami opens when Butch Davis goes to the NFL. He goes to the Cleveland Browns. Now they hire Larry Coker. He wins the national title in 2001, but is probably not the guy going forward. But that was Mr. Right Now because the players wanted him. And so... That one worked out temporarily, but not permanently. Alabama opened. They had fired Mike DeBose after the 2000 season. Dennis Francione gets hired. That obviously didn't work out. He didn't like, didn't like the pressure of the Alabama job, so he ran to Texas A&M, where there's no pressure whatsoever. Wait, there's tons of pressure at Texas A&M, but not, maybe, maybe not as much then as now. Georgia opened. Jim Donnan had been fired. They hire Mark Richt, which obviously a great hire, not the perfect hire because 
Rick got them to a certain point, couldn't get them any further, and then they hired Kirby Smart, who, who got them the rest of the way. USC, in a very controversial hire at the time, the USC fans were big mad about this because they wanted Mike Riley for this job. They hired Pete Carroll. And it was like, this NFL retread, he's been terrible in the NFL. Why in the world we hire? He only has one of the best decades any college football coach has ever had. West Virginia hired Rich Rodriguez. TCU promoted Gary Patterson to head coach. Missouri hired Gary Pinkle. Maryland hired Ralph Regan. Those are great hires. Holy cow, this all happened in one offseason. And oh, by the way, it wasn't called the Group of Five back then. We didn't have a name for it. I, oh, we did. We called it the non-BCS conferences. But in the MAC, Bowling Green hired a young Notre Dame wide receivers coach named Urban Meyer. Gave him his first head coaching job. So that 2000, post-2000, going into 2001 coaching carousel was the wildest. I think if we'd have had the same level of coverage that we have now, I think we would look at that very differently because look at those guys. Oklahoma State hired Les Miles. <laughs> so I Simmons left and or resigned and, and they hired Miles. So that was a big time coaching carousel with some big time hires. All right, back back to 2017 because it was pretty crazy our producer river with a tweet from my friend ralph russo with chip kelly leaving ucla there is now one fbs head coach who was hired in 2017-18 with the school that hired him and it is rice coach mike bloomgren that's exactly right that is wild because that was one of those when remember chip kelly had the choice of florida or ucla i think he wisely chose ucla because he would not have wanted to recruit the way you have to recruit at Florida. Dan Mullen gets Florida at that point. If if you'd have said that neither of those would be there by now, at that point, it would it, it, you people would have thought you were crazy. And especially like after Mullen's first year or two, the idea that Mullen was only going to be there for a couple more years would have sounded insane. Chip didn't start off that hot at UCLA. It took him a little bit to get rolling, but. Yeah, I that there have been some wild ones. This one will go down as a, as a very strange one, just because the Saban and Harbaugh stuff alone. But I just think it is a that two thousand one. When you look at, look at who got hired, I, I've said we are a Gary Pinkle appreciating podcast, and we are. He was awesome at Missouri. Gary Patterson dominated at TCU. Rich Rod almost got West Virginia the national title game. And then again, what, what Trestle did at Ohio State, what Rick did at Georgia, what Carroll did at USC. Like, that's incredible. What a great question from our guy, Nathan. All right, let's move on to Mickey. Why didn't the college football playoff committee let the meteorites go out for bid? They could have had an NFL type model and had four networks televising games, two CBS, two NBC semis on Fox and ABC and ESPN, the championship rotated. Wouldn't this grow the sport more? The TV networks would sell ads for all the games. True. 
But here's the thing. They did put them out for bid. For, not for the next two years, but for 2026 on, anybody could have bid on them. Everybody thought the price was too high, except for ESPN, which didn't end up paying the original asking price. But the idea was to sell it like the NFL does to four different networks, if they could, and make the most money possible. But your NBCs, your CBSs, your Foxes looked at it and were like, eh, a little rich. And a lot of that is because other things have happened in the sports rights market. You know, it's if you don't follow the NBA or, or Major League Baseball, you might not know about this, but this is it affects it because you know if you if you watch like if you have a favorite NBA team or favorite major league baseball team, you know what an RSN is, a regional sports network. And it's basically the the kind of locally based cable network that'll carry a bunch of NBA regular season or major league baseball or NHL regular season games in your market. And those things were some of the most expensive things in cable. You know, they're, they're, like ESPN was charging seven bucks a month per subscriber. Like some of those were charging in the, in the $7, $8 a month range. And the most famous of these is the Yes Network that, that televises the Yankees. But the RSNs that were run by Fox, the Fox Regional Sports Network at first, then they became Bally. Like those going under softened the market for sports rights quite a bit. So it was not a great year to be selling sports rights. And so when the CFP said, here are the games. We'd like this much per game. This is what we'd like you to pay. Those networks looked at it and were like, eh, I don't know if we, we need to do this because we think we might be able to get some other stuff elsewhere or we're pretty happy with the, with the amount we have. ESPN, on the other hand, desperately needed the exclusivity of this because it needs to be able to sell its own product to cable networks and, and justify the high carriage fee it charges cable networks. And also because it's starting this new streaming service, which we thought it was going to be just ESPN, but it looks like they're going to go into business with Fox and with Warner Brothers Discovery. So that will help them. Now, I mentioned this the other day. The Athletic reported when they were reported that the, the contract had been agreed upon that ESPN can sublicense these games. So it's not entirely certain that you will see all of these games on the ESPN family of networks. You might see some of them on Fox. You might see some of them on CBS or NBC if they sub-license the games because they are allowed to do that now. So if ESPN finds it more profitable to sub-license a couple of, of first-round games and a couple of quarterfinals, that, they'll do it. But I don't know if they'll do it right away. But that's the thing. They, they did. It wasn't a case where they said, no, we just want to go with ESPN. They tried to get everybody else involved. They tried to get everybody in there to drive up the price as much as they could, but the other ones just didn't bite on it. That's that's what happened. Next question comes from Kevin. Why don't the bowl games start the season? All the players will play. The stadiums will be full, and who cares how many bowl games there are? You have nine months to talk about them and plan trips. No worries about portals or recruiting. The postseason would be playoff only. I was not a fan of this idea when it first started getting floated a few years ago. I have come around on this. My problem is I love the December bowl games. I love watching those games. 
And I think this would be ESPN's problem with it too. That is very reliable holiday season inventory that doesn't cost them very much. And I think that would be a great way. To, I'm almost tempted to say, make it a double. Like if you qualify for a bowl game, it also means you qualify for a neutral site, good non-conference game to start the next season as well. And you could just make that one of your non-conference, just make that one of everybody's non-conference games if they want to. But that would be that would be a lot of fun. And I do think Kevin's right. I think the attendance would be pretty good because these games would be in, in probably late August, early September, pre-Labor Day uh, or maybe Labor Day weekend, depending on how you want to do it. People would either have three-day weekends or people wouldn't be in school yet or your kids wouldn't be in school so families could travel easier. I think that would be a lot of fun. I don't want to see the December inventory go away, but I do think you're right. You get everybody playing and it would be a lot more interesting. So uh, into wilderness, which I think is our guy, Nathan. So spring games need to be scrimmages between schools, especially between FBS and FCS teams. They would rock. That's true. That's exactly right. If you So if you did spring games, which put your FCS versus FBS game in the spring, Take those out of the equation and then add another non-conference game or that what you would have used on your FCS game or on one of your other non-conference games. Add that as a quote-unquote bowl game in the summer. I'd be all for that. And also, you don't have to have – maybe you don't do the double. Maybe you don't worry about whether anybody was quote-unquote bowl eligible. You just have everybody play. So like all the power conference teams would play some sort of neutral site game against somebody fun in a fun destination. And the thing is the destinations, the the palette expands because in the Northern cities where you better have a dome, if you want to do a bowl game, although Boise manages to pull one off, then you're not worried about weather. Your weather is actually probably going to be pretty nice. The Florida games are going to be miserably hot, but that's okay. We're used to that down here. I think that would be a lot of fun. I, the more I think about it, the more that might work. I wish there was still a way to do the, and, and maybe there is. Look, if if you can pay the players to be in the the games, which I think they might be able to, you could have both if you wanted. So, I hey, I'm all for both. I'm I, I like more football, especially if if guys are going to get paid for it. So. That is a that is a great question. Let us move on to a question from Dave in Chester, England. Dear Andy, longtime listener from across the pond, what are some of your favorite so close but yet so far teams of recent years? For me, I think about the 2020 Florida Gators who were arguably three plays away from finishing the regular season as undefeated SEC champions had it not been for the Malik Davis fumble against Texas A&M, Marco Wilson throwing a cleat against LSU, and the non-targeting call after Tradeen's interception in the championship game against Alabama. Can you think of any other teams that have seemingly come so close and yet ended up so far away from what could have been? So that is a really interesting example. The shoe throw is, at this point, kind of the albatross <laughs> hanging over Florida football. Like, what could have happened without the shoe throw? How different might things have been? Because... What, would the SEC championship game have played out differently or been differently, di been different if Florida had been a one-loss team going into that 
And again, like you mentioned, the, the A&M game, if Florida had won that one too, if they were undefeated and it was undefeated against undefeated, Florida-Alabama, does that change the, the result of the game? I don't know. But that team for sure is one of those. I'll give you another one, 2007 West Virginia. What if Pat White never dislocates his thumb in the second quarter of the Pittsburgh game? It's a 13-9 Pittsburgh win in that backyard brawl. I, I Obviously, Pittsburgh's defense was playing great in that game. That was uh, Dave Wants, that was the head coach. Paul Rhodes was the defensive coordinator for Pitt. They did a great job. But if, if Pat White's healthy the whole time, like I don't think it matters. Like Pat McAfee missed two field goals. He's talked about what that what life was like for him after missing those two field goals in that game. But if Pat White doesn't get hurt, I, I don't think that matters. I think I think West Virginia's offense works well enough that they grind out that game. It probably wouldn't have been a blowout win by any stretch because again, Pitt was playing really well. But that would have set up a West Virginia Ohio State national championship game, which I think West Virginia had a, a very good chance of winning. So that is a an all time what if. Here's another one: wide right two between Florida State and Miami. Remember the series of of missed kicks. So this is wide right two in 1992. Wide right, wide right one was later in the season, and they were both undefeated when it happened. But Florida State lost to Florida the next week. Now you can argue that maybe Florida State would not have lost to Florida in '91 had they beaten Miami the, the right before that, but. In 92, they had another wide right that cost them the game. And Florida State would have, Florida State ran the table after that. Now, would Florida State have fared any better against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl than Miami did? I don't know. But I, I would have been interested in, in seeing that because that was a Charlie Ward team. You know, Charlie Ward ends up winning the national title in 93 with Florida State winning the Heisman Trophy. But that 92 Florida State team was really good too. That would have been a fun matchup with that Alabama team in the Sugar Bowl in 1992, or after the 92 season. Uh, 2004 Auburn versus USC. This is no, no fault of Auburn's. Auburn just got screwed by the system. They were undefeated. They won the SEC, but USC and Oklahoma were picked to play for the national title. USC just crushed Oklahoma. I would have enjoyed an Auburn-USC game. Like it would have been fun if they were in front of fourteen playoff, and we got to see that after, after USC and Oklahoma, or or that would have been the first game to get to Oklahoma versus somebody else. I just, it was the that was the situation that caused Mike Slive, who was then the SEC commissioner, to crusade for a college football playoff. So that one's another one. Also, two thousand thirteen Alabama. This is the team that lost on the kick six to Auburn. They've not really been challenged that year, except in that College Station Texas A&M game. The the Johnny Manziel coming off the Heisman Trophy, uh, Mike Evans just having poor Eddie Jackson was playing corner. He ends up moving to safety and becoming a great safety, but he's a, I, I believe he's a freshman at the time playing corner. And Mike Evans just abused him in that game. But Alabama kind of always stayed two scores up and ended up winning that game 49-42. And then they kind of rolled through the rest of the schedule. And they get to Auburn, lose the kick six game. This is an Alabama team trying to three-peat. They won in 2011 and 2012. And so the kick six took them out of that. Nobody feels sorry for Alabama because they won all those national titles. But I bet that team against Florida State would have been a ton of fun. Now, the, the Auburn-Florida State national title game in the Rose Bowl was awesome. But if you'd have gotten Alabama against the Jameis Winston 
Florida State team. That would have been a fun game too. So those are those are a few that I would have really enjoyed. Let's got a question from Travis. Is UCLA an unserious football program? Deshaun Foster could end up being a good hire, but with no coordinator or head coaching experience, it's clear this hire was made because he would have a lower salary and wouldn't have to pay a buyout. It's clear UCLA wanted to move, move on from Chip Kelly, and Chip had no interest in being a head coach of UCLA. I get that they saved around $9 million in avoiding paying or receiving a buyout, but was there not a way the AD and Chip could have come to an agreement to part ways? The way it played out looks bad all around. I don't think they could have come to an agreement to part ways because I think if you're Chip Kelly, why would you say, I, you know, why would you say I'm just going to leave with no other job and, and you give me some money, but not all the money that you have to give me to fire me? Because the, they were in the process of raising money to fire Chip Kelly after the Arizona State game, and then that got stopped from above. And, but of course, Chip Kelly knew the writing was on the wall. So that's why he started looking for other jobs. Is UCLA a serious football program? Not as serious as, as some of the ones in the conference they're joining. They're certainly not as serious as Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State or Oregon, but they can be a good college football program. The Deshaun Foster hire, it definitely feels like they, they have sort of said, We'll see what happens with this. Again, we, we need to see details of the contract, the finer details of the contract. But I suspect it will look somewhat similar to Zach Arnett's contract at Mississippi State. Maybe not as lopsided toward the school as that Zach Arnett contract was, which basically allowed them to get out of the get out of it in year one. And if he'd gotten a you know high paying coordinator job, the buyout would have been basically free. So. This one, UCLA ends up making some money off Chip Kelly leaving. Now, I, I don't know if Martin Jarman wanted to chase Chip Kelly if he thought that would do. I, I think he, I, I think at some point they wanted to fire Chip Kelly. That was not feasible because someone said, "No, we're not paying this money." But that sent the message that got Chip out of there. So I think they they ultimately got what they wanted in terms of not having Chip Kelly in charge anymore. Now they have some flexibility because. At this point, I, I don't know who the, the ideal candidate would have been for UCLA. This way, they, they get to figure out what to do now. And if Deshaun Foster happens to be awesome, then you just pay him and you keep him. And that's, that's really what it is. But obviously, this is not what UCLA fans want to hear because they thought when they got Chip Kelly, okay, this will steady things. It's going to be stable. He's going to be good for a long time. We've got our guy. It didn't work out that way. And I, I'd say you kind of knew from the beginning that it wasn't going to. Chip Kelly started off so slow. And his, his recruiting style, once you knew you were moving to the Big Ten, you probably knew that wasn't going to work. Because if you want to be successful in the Big Ten, you've got to deal with Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and now Oregon and Washington, who you always had to deal with before, and USC, who you always had to deal with before. But the problem is when you throw the Buckeyes and the Wolverines on top of that, it becomes darn near impossible if you're recruiting the way that Chip Kelly was recruiting. So that's the situation they're in. I hope Deshaun Foster kills it there. I don't like it when people get hired and, and the, the first thought is, wow, they just hired him to fire him. I hope that's not the case. I hope he's awesome. Because you never know in this situation. As we were talking about with that crazy coaching carousel, Following the 2000 season, UCLA's crosstown rival 
hired a guy that nobody thought was going to be any good, and he turned out to be awesome. So hopefully that's what happens for Deshaun Foster because, again, I don't like it when people just assume you got hired so they can fire you and hire somebody who's a bigger name later. Let's 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 give the guy a little time. Let's see how he can do. All right, one more from Brendan, the Notre Dame fan in Philadelphia. As a connoisseur of college football and food, I wanted to seek your advice on a travel-related matter. The family and I are looking for spring break trip ideas, and we're thinking about going to one of the 30A beaches. So 30A is a road that goes through the panhandle of Florida. It goes through a bunch of cool little beach towns and it's between Destin and Panama City. And one of my favorite places on earth. We've never been to the area before, but it gets great reviews. We'll be going at the end of March, and while that not, might not be the ideal swimming weather, all we're looking for is warm weather, pool, ocean access, and the ability to keep kids distracted with shopping, bike riding, poss possibly surfing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to tell you this about the Gulf of Mexico, Brendan. You ain't surfing in the Gulf of Mexico. At least you better hope not. You better hope you can't surf. Uh, do you have a favorite 38 town or other recommendation for a family spring break trip? I do have a favorite 38, 38 town, Brendan. So this one is... Not not a lot of hotels. You'd have to you'd have to rent something. You'd have to Verbo or Airbnb this one. But Grayton Beach, and again, you don't have to stay necessarily right there because they're all so close together. Grayton Beach. If you just asked me to draw my idea of heaven, it would be Grayton Beach. So it's this funky uh, beach town in the middle of all these other beach towns, and all of them have kind of their own little personality. But you've got like Seaside where they film the Truman Show. That's a lot more crowded. It's, it's it's very bougie. A lot of you know frat boy sorority girl kind of that that crowd. But Drayton Beach is a little more funky, and it has a restaurant that has my death row meal. So there's a place in Drayton Beach called the Red Bar. Now, now I will tell you the beach at Drayton Beach is beautiful. There's a there's a state park protected area. Uh, it look it's just the purest white sand. It's it's gorgeous. And you can sit out there while you wait for your table at the Red Bar. And the, what is the Red Bar? It is a restaurant that has a six-item menu. It was five items. There was a sixth that was always the special that finally they just put on the menu. And it's my favorite. Again, if, I, if I'm ever on death row, this is the meal I will ask for. So it is a blackened grouper served over a fried grit cake. And it comes with a, with a, with a side salad and... Of course, you, you're going to finish it off with a slice of key lime pie. It's amazing. Just incredible. And great vibe in there. Very cool place. It burned down. They rebuilt it. That's that's the spot. But there, there are lots of cool beaches along 30A. So you got like Blue Mountain Beach. You got Santa Rosa Beach. And they all, again, have their own flavor personality. You can decide which one you want to stay at. You can get very easily between everything. And... It sounds like a sounds like a pretty fantastic vacation to me, Brendan. If uh, if you need somebody to help Sherpa you through there, just let me know. I'm sure my family wouldn't mind if I just came up and helped your family learn how to 30A correctly. Uh, one, one item I suggest, only because the first time I ever saw this particular item of clothing was at the bar, at the Red Bar. There's a belt that you can buy that has all the SEC team logos on it. It's something ridiculous, like $160, but it is the perfect 30A accessory. Absolutely perfect. 30. Like you, you rock that with your J. Crew polo and, and, and shorts, you will fit 
right in, even as a Notre Dame fan. Just do it for a night. They'll welcome you. They'll welcome you to the club. But yeah, that that is that is how you redneck Riviera, Brendan. And that is a great question. Thank you for all the great questions. That was that was fun. Got a fun show for you coming up on Friday. New Mississippi State coach Jeff Lebby will join us. Been a fun week. Move to mornings going well. Hope everybody's enjoying this. I am. I'm becoming a morning person. Time for another cup of coffee. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.